Hello and welcome everyone to another InventRight webinar. My name is Andrew Krauss. I'm over there on the left. And I co-founded InventRight with Stephen Key over 20 years ago. And we've been coaching and mentoring inventors ever since. Stephen and myself love doing these public webinars where you invite special guests on. And tonight, we have a very special guest. His name is David Contract. And he's the marketing team lead for the Bettish Group. And they are very famous for their products, their Baby Boom products and their Baby Bretza products. And tonight, he's going to share with us how to pitch products to the baby product industry and what you guys need to know. Welcome, David. Hi, everybody. Stephen. Uh, do you want me to? No, you know why I'm so interested? David, thank you very much for coming on. Um, we have spoken a few times now and the content, um, the advice that you're giving me about the whole submission process from inventors to, to companies like yours is priceless. And I really thank, uh, I thank you for coming on tonight to share your insights because they're, they're very helpful for us to really zero in on how to present our products correctly to companies like, like yours to, to license. So thank you very much, David. Oh, it's my pleasure, and and I just want to thank everybody for joining. I know it's a challenging time across the country because of COVID-19, but thanks for taking a little time out of your busy schedules to to be with us tonight. Should should I start, Stephen, with a brief introduction yeah, of who I am? Just, yeah, why don't we jump in and talk a little bit about yourself, David, and and the company that you work for? Absolutely. Um, hey, everybody. So I'm David Contract. I actually head up marketing for the baby division of a privately held consumer products business called the Patesh Group. We're actually based in Newark, New Jersey, uh, sadly one of the epicenters of uh, COVID-19. Uh, I've been with the company about two and a half years, and I have to tell you in my 20 plus year CPG career that uh, spans multiple categories, including uh, uh, human snacks like um, you know Chips Ahoy, vanilla wafers, dog snacks, milk bone, uh, foot treatments, Dr. Scholl's, and now baby products for the last eight and a half years. Innovation has been one of the core pillars of my ability to drive growth on brands. And it's not just homegrown innovation. It's also innovation that comes from folks like yourself on the outside who, you know, uh, through your own research, through your own thinking, come up with really great ideas. I like to tell my teams all the time, it doesn't matter where a good idea comes from. It matters can you recognize a good idea when you see it and I am more than happy to share my insights to help you pitch your ideas to people like me because it happens uh, frequently and uh, I want to give you some tips to make that a smoother and more effective process for you uh, so happy to be here quickly about baby Bretza um, that's one of our lead brands and actually the history of baby Bretza is really interesting because it actually uh, comes about because of a partnership with inventors like yourselves. So the company, the Batesh Group, is a leader in ladies' handbags. And about 35 years ago, they morphed into diaper bags. And now we're the number one manufacturer of diaper bags. About 10 or 12 years ago, the CEO uh, of the company today and, and, the, and the founder uh, you know, realized there was an opportunity to make the bottle feeding process and the baby food making process easier. So he had these, these, he's an idea guy and he had these ideas and he went to, you know, the person who was helping him with diaper bag R&D and said, listen, well, I want to make a machine that steams and blends baby food and I want to make a machine that makes a bottle 
for you. So you don't have to mix it, warm it, and serve it to your baby, which can be a three to five minute process. And if anybody has kids, and I have three, uh, the we're out of the bottle phase, you probably remember you know, that it's excruciatingly painful as you're waiting for a bottle to warm up, particularly in the middle of the night when your baby's crying. And we went to outside inventors with expertise and we found a group uh, and they actually developed both products for us. You know, they had the mechanical engineering expertise, the electrical engineering expertise, the quality expertise, and they've actually developed a third product for us, you know, through this tremendous partnership. And we have a fourth one in process right now. And I think the roots of our company are about innovation and about, you know, partnering to bring the best innovation that makes feeding easier, that makes parenting easier uh, to, uh, to moms and dads now worldwide. Back then it was just in the U.S. and now we're in about 30 or 40 countries. So uh, happy to be here. Um, I can tell you that in my past two and a half years at this company, we have bought a business that was started by an entrepreneur. We have licensed the technology and finished that development and then launched it last year. Uh, I have a meeting next week to acquire another technology, actually that comes from a, an institution in the US. So we are always on the prowl for innovation. And like I said before, innovation can come from any direction. You know, I think we're good at, at, at uh, identifying powerful insight-driven innovation that somebody wants to pay money for. So wait a minute, David, before you start your presentation, I know everybody's concerned about the coronavirus and how, how is that impacting open innovation? So how is that impacting your company and the products you're looking at to license? Yeah, I mean, you know, um, obviously this whole COVID-19 crisis is terrible and, and nobody wishes this were happening. Um, I will tell you as a company, we've adapted really well. You know, we've gone through some, unfortunately, some some upheaval, um, you know, in terms of some staffing decisions that had to be made uh, because some parts of our business have been dramatically affected by it. The good news is that our baby business is solid and doing well uh, because I think we've positioned our baby products as as really as needs. You know, if you think about life today in in the average family where you've got, you know, the husband or wife or the two partners both working from home, all the kids are home, you know, um, you know, with school being closed, childcare arrangements have been disrupted, 90% of daycares are closed across the country, if not more. Most cleaning arrangements are probably, um, you know, put on hold. So there's a lot more pressure on parents to not only do what they normally do, work and take care of their kids, but now cook and clean and then cook and clean and then cook and clean. So baby Bretza really makes a difference in people's lives, and we've seen a actually a nice surge in our in our business as a result. Um, I got to tell you, when it comes to innovation, it doesn't stop. This virus does not slow slow us down. If anything, I think it's accelerating our focus on innovation because sadly behaviors are changing, and those changes from our perspective, uh, some of them may be permanent. Uh, or at, at least there'll be a heightened interest in certain behaviors. And we believe there's a product opportunity to go after that. So uh, we're well underway uh, to realizing some of those things. Um, we're a very nimble, fast-paced company. We're very entrepreneurial. And um, this virus is not slowing us down. Nice. Thank you, David. So why don't we jump in um, and start? 
David, did you want to look at the slides first, or did you want to go through the product line on your website? What do you want to do first? Would you you like know to... what? Why don't yeah? Why don't we do this? Let's quickly breeze through the website because uh, everybody, I wanted to share a little bit about some of those products I mentioned to you. So um, and and tell you a little, and then I want to show you a small presentation I put together because I know Stevens mentioned to me that. Um, you know, as as the person on the other side, right, the person that you're trying to get in touch with, the brand guy, the marketing guy, the innovation guy, you know, I want to share a couple of thoughts with you about how you can better position your products to folks like me. So we'll receive it, you know, more positively and more, you know, on a, in a more engaged way. So um, just briefly, this is babybretza.com. This is our website. Uh, we actually have a very strong uh, direct-to-consumer business. We also sell and every other channel you might expect, like Amazon, Target, Walmart, Best Buy, Bye Bye Baby, et cetera. Um, this is the product we're most well known for called the Formula Pro Advanced, which is on your screen. Uh, this was that formula maker, that automatic bottle maker that I mentioned. Uh, it launched in 2000, uh, let's see, 2013. And uh, we created this category and now we've taken it global. So, um, you know, again, you know, think about the insight, the key to all innovation, which you all know is the insight. The insight behind this product was really sound. Uh, um, and I think the results of, of this product back that up, which is making bottles for a year or longer uh, is a pain. You know, when you're doing it by hand and you're warming it by hand, it's a time consuming process. You're doing it six to eight times a day. And if you can do it faster, easier, safer, uh, and more precise, there's a market for it. And this is actually our second generation machine. Uh, we launched the original one, like I said, in 2013. This one came out in 2018. And we have the third generation that will will uh, be a companion to this one coming out later this year, which is a Wi-Fi version. So, you know, again, the insight is strong. And then we said, how do we take it to the next level, which is how do we make it even easier, particularly in the middle of the night when that baby wakes up and you're fast asleep? Well, now, or actually in a couple months, you'll be able to push a button on your phone and the machine will make the bottle and it'll be done by the time you get to the kitchen. So again, it's all about ease and speed and precision. Uh, and that's a great example of an insight-driven innovation. Um, you can just scroll down a little bit more, Andrew. Or um, yeah, just go a little bit further. I'm gonna, we did just launch a really cool diaper bag, but I want to talk about, stop, I want to talk about the instant warmer. And then, Andrew, if you wouldn't mind, I'll ask you to flip over to the slides. So, so this is one of our latest innovations, and it's one that I'm really proud of because this was homegrown, right? So the Formula Pro and our food maker were partners or partnerships. This one, you know, our team came up with because we, we do a lot of research. Like, we want to get into the consumer's mind and uncover that powerful insight, right? And that is the holy grail behind every product. What's the insight that drives it? So in this case, the insight is that warming a bottle is a pain. It takes too long, and every bottle warmer on the market, including our own, um, warms it too slow and unevenly. If you think about how a bottle warmer works, you're putting the bottle inside a tub, basically, and there's water on the bottom of the tub and somewhat up the sides of the bottle. So your heat source is coming from the bottom, heating up the water that's surrounding part of the bottle. Well, you know, if you think about it, the only part of the bottle 
liquid or the volume that's heating up is the outside because the bottle's not moving, right? So when you let it sit in there for three or four minutes and then you pull it out, you oftentimes get hot spots because the bottle doesn't evenly heat. It heats on the outside and then you mix it up and you hope that when you mix the cooler you know, formula in the middle with the very hot formula on the outside, it will come out warm. Well, that's not a great process. And if you look at the reviews on the web, if you look at you know, the research we did, you know, satisfaction ratings are really low for bottle warmers. What we said as a team, well, what if we reinvented the warmer? Like, why do you need to warm something up? Why not actually start with warm water to begin with? And that is what the instant warmer is. The insight is that bottle warming is too slow and it heats unevenly, so it's a bad process. So we recreated the process. So this is actually a warm water dispenser. So the top part of the product keeps the water warm 24-7. We give you three different temperature settings that the little button underneath the little colored circle, you can adjust it, and then you press the lever, and then you dispense what you want, and then, you know, obviously you um, stop pressing the lever when you're done. And now you've got warm water at the temperature you want, then you put your formula in, you mix it, and you're feeding your baby in a matter of seconds. So again, Insight drove a very powerful innovation, and I say powerful because we launched this product in November, and it's our third bestseller uh, already. Um, oh. And on, it, on a on a level for inventors, David, it, it sounds like you would probably advise people it would be very smart to go on Amazon, look at reviews for different products, look for problems and solve them. It's essentially what absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and and if you want to flip over to the slides, because um, now I want to show you guys, you know, how I present this product to retailers, which would be exactly how you should think about, you know, presenting it to a marketer like me. Um, you know, because I think at the end of the day, you're trying to do the same thing that I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get a retailer to understand the insight and the need for a product. Uh, and you guys are trying to have a marketer understand, you know, a need for a product and why you feel it better than anything else. So, uh, but, but to Andrew's point, pain points are the key here, right? People buy products to solve problems. Um, there's another, you know, uh, there's another um, sort of paradigm in the innovation world that you guys may have heard of called jobs to be done. Uh, so there's like two competing approaches to innovation that I've been trained on. One is pain points, which is, all right, consumer needs to accomplish X, Y, and Z. The current products either work well or don't work well. And if they don't work well, those are the pain points. Or maybe there's something consumers want to do that there's no product for it. And that could be a giant pain point. Um, the jobs to be done model is, okay, what does the consumer need to accomplish, you know, uh, in their life? And is there, are there products that make it easier? And if, if there's a gap there between what they need to accomplish and what exists, you can fill a gap. The challenge with both of these is uh, you have to make sure that people, that the pain point or the job that needs to be done is big enough that people will want to spend money to fill. I, I can't tell you guys how many, you know, ideas come my way, particularly in the baby space. And what's unique about the baby space is there's a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, every mom and dad thinks of an idea. Oh my God, what if this just existed? It would make my life so much easier for taking care of my baby. And in, in some cases, the ideas that these, you know, uh, entrepreneurs come up with are fantastic, but oftentimes 
they're solving such niche issues. And I'll give you guys an example in a second that it's, it's not viable, you know, for either one of two reasons. One could be it's so small of a need state, you'll never be able to market it uh, and get it into retail, which is really where the money is to be made um, if, it's, if there's not enough people who have that problem. And the other thing that I find is oftentimes, yes, it's a pain point, but it's not a big enough deal that people will spend five, 10, 20, whatever, $30 on. Um, so you always have to keep that in mind, which is how, and how big is the pain point and how bothersome is the pain point. If you really think about those two pieces, then you'll, you'll focus on products that are more viable. Um, the example I wanted to give you guys is, um, this was, I think, a year and a half ago. Um, a mom and dad inventor team, you know, uh, found me, you know, uh, somehow. And they said, hey, we have a new product for bottles. Now, we have a very small bottle business. Um, it's not our core focus. Uh, and I was like, oh, you know, I wouldn't mind bringing out something in innovation, you know, in bottles. Maybe it would help me compete more effectively with the big bottle brands. And I used to manage the marketing for two of the biggest bottle brands. So I know a lot about the category and the consumers. So they came into our office and they were passionate about their idea. Their idea was a little, a little sort of insert into bottles that would prevent backwash. Now, um, you know, I, I listened to their spiel. They they clearly believed in this. And the hardest thing for somebody like me is to, you know, sort of put a put put a pin in the balloon and pop the pop the pop the air bubble. But you know, as they asked me, did I think it was viable? I, I'm always honest, and in a nice way, I said, "Listen, I'm sure there's some people concerned about backwash, but at the end of the day, I don't think very many people are." Right. And even if they were now, you have to think about the logistics of bringing this product to market. There are probably, you know, 20 different brands of bottles and every bottle has a different circumference. It has a different, you know, sort of top. You would have to develop 20 different inserts to match every bottle. It's just not practical to do that. And but more importantly, the pain point wasn't big enough. Like. Their concern was that when you backwash, your saliva that's going back into the bottle has bacteria in it. But at the end of the day, you're you're gonna the baby's gonna suck on the next, you know, is gonna swallow the rest of it. So their saliva that may have gone into the bottle is going right back into their body. You know, the only the only real concern about bacteria in being backwashed into a bottle is if you don't finish the bottle and you want to use it later. But the medical community tells moms not to do that. You know, they only want you to, to um, you know, hold a formula bottle, I think, for an hour and maybe a breast, breast milk bottle for a little bit more than that. So, again, it wasn't a big problem. For them, it was. <clears throat> but they didn't step back and think about, is this a big enough issue for the market? And can this be commercialized and be successful? And, and, and then I'll... I'll um, you know, wrap this up by saying, again, just step back and say, all right, the problem that I'm trying to solve, that pain point, how big is it? How many people are affected by this? Like we were excited by this instant warmer because 80% of parents warm their bottles. So this affects eight out of 10 babies. There's 4 million babies, 3.2 million theoretically babies are affected by this category. That's, that's a big need state. You know, the backwash, maybe it's 1%. 
maybe it's 2%, it's just too small. Then think about the logistics, the executional considerations and the price point, you know, and can you make it work? So, um, <clears throat> so can I interrupt for just a minute? David, yeah. this is wonderful. Um, Andrew, you know what I like about this so much? Just with basically three sentences, I guess two maybe, his insights, he, he discusses the size of the industry in a, a very, not a subtle way, but 80%, that's, that's pretty big. Mm-hmm. And then he very subtly, he talks about people are dissatisfied in general because of the reason why the methods are slow and they heat unevenly. Mm-hmm. We don't talk enough about that in sell sheets or maybe a cover letter. But, right, right. Yeah, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do a cover letter, everybody. You know, um, just think about who your audience is. And, um, you know, I'm busy, right? So, you know, and when I am trying to get a retailer's attention, they're really busy. You know, most people I found don't like to be interrupted. You've mm-hmm. got to really catch their attention. Catch their attention with a powerful insight. Hey, I can help solve this massive problem that your consumer faces. So think about who Mm -hmm. your audience is. So if you had a great idea for a baby product and you were coming to me, you might say, you know, and somehow people find my email. So, um, so you can, you'll, I'm sure you'll be given it and I'm more than happy to receive, receive uh, new product ideas. So, Hey Dave, I've got a great way for you guys to solve this problem. Mm -hmm. What's the problem? You know, show me that it's big. To the extent you can, there's a lot of great research you can do on the internet. It's amazing what you can find, you know. Um, and then briefly describe in that email. Use bullet points. Don't use big paragraphs. Big paragraphs to me are a turnoff. I don't have time to read it. Give me bullet points. I can scan it. Um, but make it crisp. Make it clear. Make it concise. You're trying to hook them in, and then you attach a sell sheet. And what I was I'm going to share with you, uh, but Stephen, I'll pause because I know you want to say something is attach a sell sheet, but present it in a way that's compelling. This is how I present my products to retailers. I think it's a really good format. You don't have to use it. It's just a suggestion. But, um, you know, I like it because it always starts with the insight. Then you go into why your product, you know, what your product does and, and why it's unique and why it works. And then, and then the next two slides will share a little bit more information about it. Yeah, I don't think we hit it hard enough, David. You know, sometimes on the sell sheets, we'll show a problem, but it's usually visual. I like the way you stated it here, and I like the flow of the the benefit at the very top, the insight, and then what you have. I, I like that formula, Andrew, very much. Yeah, me too. The, the cover yeah, letter. Yeah, I, probably... I think Stephen's referring more to not a cover letter. The, the email itself is the cover letter. It just kind of to... dates. I'm oh, sorry. It. It, it dated myself when I said cover letter. So. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You've been inventing and licensing for a very long time, people. I just, yeah. Now yeah. that's fine. Again, I would um, encourage you keep your email short and sweet. Short. Nobody wants to see a six-paragraph email. Um, it's just unfortunately everything's moving at the speed of light, and everybody is overwhelmed. Particularly now, you know, there's staffing cuts, there's furloughs, mm-hmm. so people are more pressed for time than ever. So just you got to make your point quickly. You know, you got to engage the person immediately. Like um, when when we do TV ads, although I, I don't really do a lot of TV ads, but in my past I have. Uh, but even a video, if your video is not engaging in the first three to six seconds, nobody's going to watch it. So um, 
just keep that in mind. The attention span of the average consumer is, I think, at shelf two and a half seconds for a package. Uh, in an email, you probably don't get much more than that. So you got to make it really compelling. And I think if you start with the pain point you can solve and make sure it's relevant to the person you're reaching out to, you'll have a higher likelihood of success of, of engaging and hopefully getting a connection and a follow-up. You know what's wonderful about this, Andrew? Mm -hmm. This is David's sell sheet to, mm -hmm. to the right? retailer. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. think about it that way, everybody that's listening. You know, if you design a sell sheet for David, you're really designing it for David's retailers as well. Isn't that right, well, David? Well, ultimately, it's really for the consumer. The retailer wants well, to look at it and go, oh, yeah, if our customers saw this, well, they would buy it. Yeah, at the end user, yeah. but it. Yeah. Position it this way, it helps everybody. Uh, David, if someone had designed a sell sheet like this and you saw it, you liked it. Would it would, is yeah, it, I mean, it, I've been using this. I've been using guys this format for um, probably seven or eight years now. Okay. So um, I like it because um, it's very clean and organized. So again, I believe innovation should always start with the insight. So mm -hmm. what? what is the tr consumer truth about what you're talking about? So in this case, it's the bottle warming category is big. 80% of people do it and they do lots of things, but all those things suck, <laughs> basically. I mean, <laughs> that's why people are so dissatisfied. It's primarily because every approach they take, it's slow and it doesn't work that well. It heats unevenly. So, you know, for a retailer who sells bottle warmers and every major retailer that has a baby category sells bottle warmers, um, they're automatically going to key into this because you're right, eight out of 10 moms, that means eight out of 10 of my shoppers, and they're very dissatisfied. Now, I didn't put metrics in about satisfaction. I have them, but you know, you can only put so much on a sell sheet. <clears throat> so you hook them in with big pain point. Here's why I'm solving it. So our instant warmer is a revolutionary new approach to solving it. I already described it. So I gave a couple of bullet points, $49.99. Very compelling price point when every other bottle warmer is between 30 and $60, kind of right in the middle. So then if you flip to the next slide. So now this is actually a couple of slides that I presented to Target uh, about a month ago. Uh, by the time we presented to Target, this product was already on the market. So I had the, the benefit of a little hindsight, which is, you know, not only was it a big pain point and we revolutionized the process, but people love it. You know, we already have 66 reviews, four and a half stars. I cut and paste a couple of reviews and the media loves it too. Look at the coverage we're getting. And then flip to the next slide. Um, and it's better than what's already out there. You know, um, you know, better than a machine that Tommy Tippy makes, who's one of my competitors, better than the traditional bottle warmer, which I've already described. So again, if you all are thinking of pain points and new products, you know, to if you're presenting them to me, you know, you want to present, you know, again, gauge the size of the category, gauge the how do consumers think about it, why are they happy or obviously dissatisfied or unhappy. What's your product? What does it do? Um, and why is it better? And if you have any validation that people like it, include it. Because, you know, that's what I want to hear about. You know, if you've done any market research, if you've done a survey, 
if you have a video, you don't have to have a video, but if you have any information that validates that it's a really compelling idea and people are interested in it, you should share that. I will tell you guys, like I've gotten some sell sheets that are little more than a picture on a page with one bullet point. And, and recently I got one and I won't say what it was. I honestly had no idea why it was better. You know, I wasn't that familiar with the category. So I had to do my own research on Amazon, you know, because again, I, I do take all these submissions seriously because I don't want to miss something. And after I spent 10 minutes on Amazon looking up this category, I was like, I don't think this is better. So they made a huge mistake because they made me go do some work. That's always a bad thing because most marketers are not like me, you know, and I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but a lot of marketers are not going to put any extra effort in. They're going to just ignore it. Uh, but for the ones who do, and you push them or motivate them to do a little research, and if they don't think your product's better, then you're dead in the water. You got to make sure that it's clear what you're solving and why you're doing it better than what's already out there. Um, because at the end of the day, the only reason why I'd be interested in something is, is it better, right? Like particularly if you're going to a company and trying to encourage them to move from their space into maybe an adjacent space, you've got to come with something that's really better, right? Because you've got to get people that want to shift their purchasing behavior from a brand or a product that they might know to one that they don't. So just keep all that in mind as you're, you know, you know, coming up with your products and then pitching them. So, David, you showed us what you use to go to retailers and very th thank you for doing that because it's it's some wonderful uh, tips. Um, would you like to see us submit ideas like this to you like this? I mean, I sell sheep, but also do a second, maybe not the second page, but the third page of showing, hey, let me show you what how it stacks up against competitive products. I that? think it would be great. Yes. If you could do the first and third sheet and again, supplement it with any information you have about consumer interest, yes. um, that would be great. Again, this is just one format. There's no one size fits all here. I'm just, I think what's more important, it's less about the format and more about the content, which is okay. what's the pain point? What's the problem? How big is it? And why is it a problem? You've got to explain that because then that positions your product. It explains why your product fills or addresses that problem. Then make it really clear what your product does. Don't assume that the person on the receiving end has any clue what your product is and what right. it does. And again, most importantly, why is it better than what's out there? And if you leave the person like me on the receiving end to do any research, like I did in this, the case of this one example I just mentioned, I may actually convince myself it's not better because you didn't try to convince me and now you've lost the battle before it even started. Does that make sense? I hope it makes sense. It does. Huh. So again, you know, fill the fill in the gaps. I, I know I am going to guess that because I've, I've felt this myself. You're so excited that the person said, yes, I'd love to see your idea. And you just like can't wait to just email it off. Resist the urge to just act immediately, step back and make, you only get one chance. So make sure you put your best foot forward and take the extra 30 minutes or however long and really polish it up and, and make it as compelling as you can. I would even encourage you show it to somebody else before you send it in, like show it to a friend, a fellow inventor, show it to 
Steven or Andrew or, you know, get some feedback on it. If you're really excited about your idea, I'm sure there's value behind it, but you got to make sure you present it properly because you don't want to lose the battle before you start. Got it. David, I have a I have a question for you in the in the area of researching a company's product line before you send them something. I'm sure you must get submissions. Stephen and I have talked to many companies. It's like, did they even look at my product line? Um, so, do do you get submissions that are just completely inappropriate for looking at, for your product line, where it's just way off in left field, or, or are they typically right on the mark? You know, it's a mix. It's a mix. You know. Um, I do think that's a really valuable suggestion, which is again, before you, you know, send something to, you know, anybody, make sure it's relevant to them. And if it's not, explain why you're sending it to them. So, you know, sometimes people will reach out to me in the first, like I got an email today actually, um, cause I think somebody was aware of this, said, listen, are you open to ideas, um, you know, in categories X, Y, and Z? So I wrote back, yes but recognize that we're not in those categories today, but that doesn't mean we couldn't be in them tomorrow. So again, I, I'm, I'm very open-minded to um, anything in baby, but we have a housewares division. They had some ideas in housewares. So I was like, sure, I'll receive the housewares ideas and I'll pass them on to my colleagues over on the, on, in that division. So yeah, you, you, you want to know who your audience is and make sure that um, it's relevant to them or explain why you're still sharing it. Um, I think that's really important. Well, let's use Falana as an example. Falana typed in, does your company accept toddler products? Well, so yes. let's, let's, we don't know what it is, but let's say, but let's say uh, it's a baby rattle or it's something. So, I mean, they, they just need to look at your product line, don't they, to determine that or? Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, um, so like our company, um, and I didn't really go into a lot of detail, but like, for example, we we really make products from zero to five, right? We or maybe zero to four. So we we're number one in diaper bags. You use diaper bags for you know several years. We make baby appliances, which are primarily kind of like zero to twelve months. We're actually number two in baby bedding, which which goes into toddler up to probably around five, and then kids graduate to uh, you know sort of a twin bed. So the answer is yes. Um, now, you wouldn't know that from Baby Bretz's website, but if you did a little bit of research on the Batesh group, you would realize that. So, again, it's, it's, putting, it's applying yourself and, and learning who your audience is. Um, sometimes it's okay to ask. Again, you know, you're, to, to some extent, if you can get referred to somebody, they're more likely to respond. If you're cold emailing, you know, just be prepared that they may not respond. Uh, but, um, you know, um, it, it it always helps to know who you're reaching out to and why what you're reaching out about is relevant. I, I like what you said earlier because people need to dig down deeper. It's like, well, who owns Baby Bretza? And and then you find the Batesh group and you're like, oh, damn, they're doing everything from sewn products to appliances. That's a pretty wide range. There are a lot of companies don't do that wide a range of products, but you yeah. guys do. But they need to do that research and dig down to find that information. No, I agree. And then actually, if you went a little bit further, you would learn that we have a housewares division, you know, which is, um, it's under a brand called MindReader, and they're in every housewares category imaginable, office, you know, kitchen, bath, uh, et cetera, you know. Um, and then we also have this ladies' handbag business, which I mentioned. So, so 
you know, if you have a connection into a company, particularly a smaller company, you know, you can get your ideas to probably the right people in that company if you have a connection. And now I know you, you all had a, uh, a conversation with somebody from Hasbro uh, last week or the week before, you know, Hasbro is huge, right? So if you know somebody who works in Hasbro, they may not be able to find the right person, you know, in some part of Hasbro. But like I can tell you at the Batesh group, which is less than 100 people, I can get it, get things to the right people. So, you know, to some extent, you, you need to know who you're reaching out to, you know, um, and if your request is reasonable or not. So, well, David, yeah, how Stephen many products, I have always said, go ahead, Stephen. How many products um, does the company produce? How many SKUs? It sounds like quite a few. Is it? Um, so, in the baby Bretza universe, it's probably under 30. Um, in the diaper bag universe, it's probably closer to 60 or 70. And in the betting universe, it's probably somewhere in between. So yeah, it's it's a it's a lot, you know. Okay. Right. David, if somebody came to you with a housewares product, and what would, knowing that you're in charge of the the, the baby area, um, would you? Would, it sounds like you would readily send them over to the right person. So they said, well, you know, would you if they just simply said, would you know the right person to submit to? It sounds like you would send them on over there. Uh, I would, and 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 some of that is just me. Like I'm a, you know, I'm a connector. I don't, I and mean, I can't remember which, you know, um, interpersonal, you know, sort of model, you know, that told me I was a connector. It was one of them. You know, it wasn't Myers Briggs. It was another one. But I like to. I I I'm an idea guy, and I'm a connector. So. But I will tell you, because this happened to me today, and I hope this person's not on the phone, but I, I got an email and who asked about housewares, and I said, sure, and I got a website link. And again, it just was a link, and I looked at the products, and I did send it over to the person, and I gave them my my two cents on it. So again, if you if you leave blanks to be filled in, by whomever you're reaching out to, they're gonna fill them in based off of the knowledge they have. Now I happen to have a lot of knowledge of this category from my past, so I was able to provide my judgment on it, um, you know, with some knowledge and some history and experience, but you don't want that to happen. Like what I'm trying to tell you guys is, don't have the person on the receiving end have to put much thought into it. Explain mm -hmm. to them what your product is, why it's meaningful, why it's different, why is it better, why would consumers be interested in it, why is it a big pain point, you know, make that clear to the person because otherwise they're going to use their own, to, you know, mm -hmm. judgment to answer those questions. And if somebody sent me something that was really, you know, not compelling in the least bit, I probably wouldn't pass it along because I don't want to waste mm -hmm. the other person's time. I would filter it myself and just toss it. So you don't want you don't want that to happen, David. You're really busy. So how do you? Um, we want to make sure people are sending you good ideas. So what can you tell them that what you need to make good decisions fast? Because we don't we don't want people to send you a bunch of ideas that just wastes your time because that doesn't help you or the the people that are sending the ideas to right. you. So is there any advice? Yeah, I think the best advice I could give you and is is um, Make sure that the ideas you're coming up with really solve genuine, large pain points. 
Okay. Right? You don't want to waste your time on a niche. It's just not going to see the time of day and it's not going to deliver a return for you. So I would really encourage you, mm-hmm. you know, to focus on things that are big problems. Okay. You know, it doesn't mean that it has to be a giant market. Like the baby market's not a big market in the grand scheme of things. There's 4 million births roughly a year in the U.S. Um, so that's a pretty small market when there's 320 some odd million people and 100 and I don't know, 60 or 70 million households. Right. We're talking about a small slice of America. However, it's a it's a it's a market where people spend a lot of money. Right. Because your life is transformed when a baby comes into the into the world. Mm-hmm. So make sure like if you were coming to me with a baby item, is it meaningful to a to a lot of people in that market? Like if it if it was, you know, appealing to one or two percent, don't even bother. Twenty, thirty, fifty. You know, it's got to be at least a quarter of the market or more. I think to be worthwhile. So before you even bother, answer those simple questions. Is it a big enough pain point? And is my product a better way of solving it than what's out there? I mean, if you can answer those two questions, honestly, yes, it's big enough and it does a better job than what's out there in a really meaningful way. Um, and, And the third piece would be, you have some patent protection or some IP or something novel about it that's protectable, mm-hmm. um, then go after it. Because that's the third piece, which we haven't talked about is, okay, big pain point. Yeah, you have a better widget, but at the end of the day, can I protect it? You know, Because if I'm going to license it from you, what's going through my head is, because this happens all the time, you get about a year or less first mover adma- advantage these days. The pace of development has gone, has, has accelerated, and it's because of China, you know, particularly in the baby category, because a lot of baby products come from China. So you could launch a new product like the instant warmer. Actually, this is funny. I just said this to our CEO the other day. I said, his name is Steven. I said, Steven, we came out with the instant warmer in November. It's now April. We have about six months and still work until we're copied. So I give it a year until somebody tries, somebody knocks us off. There's no patent protection on this product. Like uh, there are warm water dispensers, you know, for kitchens, there's kettles. So there was nothing. We just have a first mover advantage on this. So I was like, give me some more money so we can maximize this opportunity before we're knocked off. So you got to keep that in mind because if you're trying to license a technology or a new product, you want the person on the other end to feel like they have many years of benefit from it, not just a year. So let's jump over that topic for just a minute. If you did have patent protection, would you pursue it through litigation or, or maybe leveraging some of the retailers that are carrying it? The Me Too say, hey, look, we've got IP. How would you handle that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, listen, a patent's only as good as your willingness to enforce it. So um, yes, I have. Um, I, I we would go after it, and we have actually gone after people who've infringed on a on a particular patent that this company has. But I will I will, I will tell you guys that you know um, patents are important. They aren't the be all and end all, um, and it, and it does really come down to your ability and willingness to enforce it. So mm-hmm. I will tell you guys in a, a situation that happened in my past job, where we licensed a technology in the toddler feeding space. And it was it was a unique technology with a, pa- a very strong patent. Uh, well, it turned out that um, 
we were number two in this category. It turned out that number one player had been in previous discussions with this company and they, and they fell through. So when they when it fell through with the number one player, they came to us, the number two player. We weren't aware that they were in touch with the number one player. Long story short, it took us way too long to get their product out. Just long story why. And that number one player knocked their technology off. They changed one aspect of it to 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 uh, so they could basically you know uh, design around their patent, and they beat us to market. And we were not willing as a company to go enforce the patent that we that we licensed. So licensing their really unique technology with a patent didn't turn out to be a benefit, you know, because they they had talked to another company. The company stole the idea. They changed it so it was not a patent violation, and they took over the market, and they probably still are doing it today. So, again, just it's important to have protection. I think it's critical if you want somebody to acquire your technology or your idea, but don't be deluded. It's not the be-all and end-all, and I guess I would tell you guys that if you're going to bother with a patent, and you should, make sure it's as bulletproof as possible. It needs to be a utility patent. Design patents are really not meaningful. Um, so, and you got to make sure that utility patent is as ironclad as you could make it. And don't make the mistakes um, of of writing your claims and, and adding qualifiers to them. You know, for example, um, yeah, I can't think of an example, but try to make your claims as broad as possible. So like, I'll get, okay, let's say you had a, uh, let's say you had a, uh, a patent claim that said this pro this product has two parts that are going to attach together via zipper. And let's say that was novel and unique. Okay. If I'm on the other side and I see your product doing well, okay, well, it says it has to attach with a zipper. How about if I attach with Velcro? How about if I attach with snaps or buttons? or come up with some other mechanism to attach two things together. I can do all of those things and I'm not violating your patent. So don't bother with a patent like that. Try to get a patent that says, I have two parts that attach together, you know, you know, and, and just leave it at that and see if you can get that claim. Because if you could, now you've prevented everybody else from attaching those two parts through every other means besides a zipper. Um, I hope that's clear. You know, now obviously I'm not a patent lawyer and, and what well, I'm suggesting may not be achievable, no, David, but try to make your claims as broad as possible. No, David, what you said is absolutely a good advice that not only not only should you protect the invention, but the innovation. Meaning Yeah. Steal it. And you from have yourself. guys you guys be aware and I, I, I it's really sad, but in my experience there are companies that are totally above board. And they're companies that are only partially above board. And don't presume that companies who you might respect would not, you know, revert to sure. designing around somebody's patent. It happens all the time and it's allowed. So, you know, it, it's just a reality of today's environment. It's cutthroat, you know, besides the fact that you've got a lot of patent infringement that goes on overseas. There are companies even in the U.S. that will say, wow, that product's doing really well. How can I design around their patent? And their law firms that will help you do it. Well, David, that's fair game. You know, that's reverse engineering. What we try to tell everybody, 
is steal it from yourself. And I think your example of the Velcro was perfect. We even try to teach people go so broad that it would be anything that couples and uncouples, regardless of what mechanism that is. So you're absolutely 100% right. Um, to... but, but most, but you're, you're, you're right also, David, most inventors, they go, this is what it is. This is what it is. This is what it is. It's like well, what Steven said, well, what else could it be? Is there another version? It's just as good, yeah. but not the version you're pitching. Cover all those variations. Yeah. Cover the version that's yeah. 90% as good in your provisional patent as well. And uh, our students are doing that. And no, it's, it's, no, that's good advice. It's spot on because you never know who you're dealing with. Um, yeah. yeah, no, absolutely, guys. I mean, and 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 I would also share with you, like, if you have now, this is a uh, this is a good and a bad idea. Like, if you have something that's really, really compelling, and you you know, obviously, you got to be really careful who you share it with. You know, you may want to get an NDA signed. You know, mm -hmm. so you may want to have like a high level conversation. I've had conversations with inventors where it's been very high level you know i can think of one offhand where you know they didn't share anything really proprietary you know at the first meeting first conversation and then i was intrigued enough i'm like let's sign an nda because i want i don't want to put you in a bad position or likewise and then okay. then then you can give me more information so you know you got to get them engaged first but you may want to do an nda before you go further got it good advice we have some questions. We got, uh, I don't know, about nine, ten minutes left. Do you have some time for sure. questions, David? Okay. Cool. Absolutely. Um, it's a good question from Mike. What would you say is the most convenient way to get in touch with marketers like yourself? Phone, email, LinkedIn, et cetera. How That's do you great. like people to reach you, and what is your perception of how other marketers for marketing managers like to like to receive ideas? That is the million dollar question. How can you get in touch with somebody who is not really interested in hearing from you? Uh, <laughs> honestly, so um, I, I would tell you, you got to try every means possible, you know, but don't stalk somebody because you'll piss them off. So, you know, my experience is LinkedIn is a great way, but most people don't respond. Don't take it personally. Um, if you can figure out their email, um, it's not that hard to figure out people's emails or at least guess that to me is the best way if you know somebody who knows that person and you can get a referral or an introduction that's the best way I wouldn't this is me talking I like email I'm not a big phone person so you know um, truth be told I sometimes don't even listen to my voicemails every day because I'm too busy so to me leaving a voicemail is my last resort um, because I don't think people really use the phone like they used to. So it's all about email. Um, so those would be my suggestions. Be persistent, but not annoying. And, you know, be creative. Like, I'll give you guys an example. I do business development, you know, for my company. And what that typically includes is I want to get my products into a particular retailer that we're not in because I think it makes sense. So I've, I've actually, you know, tried the email, tried the even phone call. I've tried the LinkedIn. Sometimes it works. Most of the time it doesn't. I'll just ship the, a product to the person. I'm like, you know what? I'm shipping them through FedEx. I know they're going to get it. And that usually gets them to respond. So again, be creative. Um, you gotta, you gotta, if you really believe in what you're doing, you, and you really believe it's right for, you know, somebody on the other side like me, you got to figure out a way to get in touch with me and, you know, use your ingenuity to, to make it happen. But again, don't, don't 
annoy the person, um, you know, and, and reach out like every week for like 10 weeks in a row. Mike, I hope that was good advice. It was great advice. And I love it that you had the same problem some of us have, David. I mean, reaching out to people and some people don't want to talk on the phone. You send an email, just send the product and they usually respond. So I think it's wonderful. Yeah, and do do a combination of things. Do whatever it takes yeah. to get to the person, but don't don't be a stalker. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because like you don't that. forget the person, do you? <laughs> no, I hate to say that. When no, I mean, I guess I'll give you an example. I get a call from one person every month checking in with me, you know, about uh, recruiting. I mean, you would think after two years that he'd stop. <laughs> he still calls me, and I don't know why I still answer the phone. And uh, I haven't yet to yet memorized his number. But again, like in my in my in my mind, it's like a wasted a waste of a minute. Okay. This is an interesting one from Laura. I work at a large university and have the opportunity to work with a research team to test my innovation with infants and caretakers starting this summer. Should I wait? on the data about the infant parent response to the product before pitching the idea? That's a fun question. Hmm. That's a great question. Um, obviously, I don't know what the product is, and I don't know how important the data is to proving that the product works or not. But my gut, based off of the limited information I have is, I would wait. Because if you get really good results, I think that will make your pitch stronger, unless, unless you can't afford to wait. You know, um, so that's really a decision or a judgment you have to make. But if you could go to somebody like me and say, the pain points X, the product we came up with is Y, and we tested with tested it with 50 babies or 50 moms, and 93% loved it, and 86% it did this, or 93% it did that, that's going to be a lot more powerful than just, here's the pain point, here's the product, and we think it'll work. Mm-hmm. This one's interesting. Um, in email, what do you put in the subject line to get them to open it? So what's worked for you? You can't comment for other people, but yourself, what works for you? What do you like to see in a subject line? What get, what's, gets your attention? You know what? To me, it should it should speak to me. So, you know, um, um, so here's my little tip. I put in all caps um, the action I'm looking for the person to take. So it's a it's an email tip that I learned at a class many years ago. So if I'm asking Andrew or Stephen to do something for me, I'm going to put in all caps request hmm. colon and then what my request is, and that will stand out in their inbox. So um, for you guys, if you were reaching out to me, I probably would say make your subject line engaging to me, which is you know. Um, uh, request, review, review, you know, innovation that solves, you know, 80% of new mom's problems or something like that. You know, you've got to bring that compelling, what, what makes a compelling life as quick, as pithily, pithy as you can, you know, and what I just said probably wasn't very good, but make it engaging, not just new product idea for you to review. Like, I mean, I'll look at it because I'm the type of person who looks at everything, but I think most people would ignore that. So you got to make it relevant. You got to catch their attention. And I think the best way to do it is like, I have a powerful innovation, the big idea that can, you know, that's going to address this huge problem for moms. 
Here's a really juicy question if you want to give this to our audience. Um, what is on your wish list? So in other words, what kind of stuff are you guys looking for? If our audience can come up with something, what, what areas are you looking for things in? You don't have to disclose that, but if you if you want to share something, that would be great. No, that's a great, great question. I mean, you know, we're always thinking about how to make feeding easier. You know, how do we also make the banal uh, or banal mundane activities of raising a baby simpler, easier, more automated, faster? I mean, that's our sweet spot, you know, as a brand, you know, um, our sweet spot in diaper bags is how do we make, you know, taking your baby out of your house more convenient? You know, we just launched, I didn't even talk about it, but we just launched the diaper bag with a powerful new innovation. Like our research showed that, you know, people are really worried about changing their baby in a clean place. So our first our first ever diaper bag for baby Bretza has a changing station built into it. So you unzip the back and it 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 lowers down a protected comfortable little area where you can change your baby. It's got sides, all your creams and diapers and wipes are at the back. And um, we call it the ultimate changing station. So, um, so anything, you know, that, that makes the, the baby, you know, feeding, you know, diapering process easier, faster, I'd be open to, but, you know, um, it doesn't have to be limited to that. I mean, we've looked at, I'll tell you guys, um, because these companies are out there, like there's companies trying to solve the, you know, um, accidentally leaving your baby in your car and they're them dying. And we've we've looked at two or three different technologies in that area, you know, because it is a real problem. And, um, you know, we 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 evaluated a couple different ways to solve that. So that's a little bit out of, out of left field for us. But but I looked at that. You know, um, and the other the other area would be sleep and soothing. Like, you know, if you think about the big need states of babies, you know, they sleep, they eat and they poop. So, you know, how do you make those three processes better? You know, because that's what I think about with my innovation, you know, team. How can we make things better? So I'll tell you guys, we launched the first ever baby massager uh, in Q4 of last year. You know, that was a, a mom who invented the idea. She came to us because she loves our Formula Pro and she had this idea and it fit into one of our one of our growth pillars, which was sleep and soothing. And, um, you know, we did some research, we validated her idea, we acquired it and, uh, and we launched it. And uh, so, so, you know, that's another area I'm always looking for new ideas in. Wow, good stuff. Hey guys, we're gonna need to start wrapping up, but while we're doing that, if you guys can find the questions box in your GoToWebinar control panel and type in your thank yous for David, I'm sure you'd appreciate them. And if you could type in, make it more than just thank you, write something write something thoughtful, and then we'll send them all on over to you, David. Oh, Andrew, that's really nice of you guys. Well, Andrew, I have to say, David, thank you. This is probably one of the most important webinars we've had. And it um, why even why why tell tell the yeah, because, audience why because you David gave us the insight of what's important for him, but he also shared yeah. how he pitches to the retailers, and and there's a connection there, right? Because we need to um, when we when we present a you know an idea to David, we have to convince him, but he has to convince that to the retailers too. 
So to have his input on how he does it, I, I think um, has been, for me, uh, a light just went on. And I, I wanna talk to all our groups and everybody else about how to pitch correctly. And I think he nailed it. And I haven't heard that from anybody else. So David, thank you very much for that. Yeah. My, my pleasure, everybody. Thank you for listening. I hope it was valuable and um, good luck. I think you guys are doing something amazing. I, uh, I'm not as big a risk taker as you, so that's why I, I, I work for a company and not on my own, but, uh, but good luck. And I'm always open to ideas that are relevant to, to us. So um, thanks so, for listening this evening. Uh, David, I'm gonna ask you a question. Now, you have to be careful here. If we give your email, you're gonna get flooded. So what is the best way for people to get to you or your company with ideas? I mean, you guys can give my email. Like I, I've said all along, I'm, I'm always open, but I would, particularly for this group, please, you know, at least act on some of what you heard. <laughs> Maybe not all of it, because I know I probably droned on a little bit, but um, try to again, make it as relevant, you know, to me as you can, so that you engage me, because I get, you know, hundreds of emails a day. And I, like I said, I do try to read every one, uh, but, um, you know, I, I okay. will easily, you know, sort of delete one that doesn't engage me very quickly. The other thing actually just to say is, um, you know, um, don't take it personally if you don't hear back quickly. You know, you. people are busy. You know, I know you guys know that, but you know, if you're reaching out to somebody and you're hoping you hear back the same day and they don't respond, you know, for three or four days, like don't take it personally. Okay. Perfect. David, thank you very much. My pleasure. Have a great evening, everybody. Stay and safe. Andrew, and, uh, uh, you know, again, Andrew, I hope this is valuable. Ten, David. One, one last thing. What's going on there, Andrew, with the thank yous? Oh, we got, we got, we got, we got too many thank yous to read, but I'll read a few for you, um, David. Oh. Uh, oh, gosh. Wow. Uh, Kimberly, David, we really appreciate you for sharing your insightful information with us. Bologna, thank you for sharing your time and insight on how not to submit baby products. I love that. Um, Aaron, thank you so much for your insight. Uh, I mean, there's just a ton of them here. Uh, McKeel, uh, thank you, David, for giving brutal your brutally honest advice. Uh, Jerocle, thank you, Mr. David. This this information was great. I give it ten stars. It ten stars, not five stars, David. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> um, David, I love honesty. I love how you were straight and to the point. Thank you very much. Be blessed and uh, be blessed and be a blessing. And there's just there's just a ton of them. I'll I'll email them off over to you. Okay. Oh well, thank you guys very much. I, I really appreciate hearing that it was valuable to you. And um, you know, good luck. You know, I I think that um, you know um, if you can act on some of what I talked about, obviously if you can act on all of it, you're gonna put yourselves in a better position to be successful. So uh, I wish you the best. Thank you, David. Take care. Okay. Good vetting, everybody. Good night. Yeah, take care. Good night. Good night, everybody. Thank you, David. You're welcome. Bye.